You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Since grade school, we've been taught that gravity is what keeps our feet firmly planted on the ground. But what if that's all been a lie? Now, I'm not saying if you jump off a bridge, you fall up instead of down. But what if Newton and Einstein were wrong, and what really ties our universe together is not gravity, but electricity? The electric universe theory says that instead of gravity, the universe's true attractive force comes from invisible electric currents that surround our planet, our solar system, the galaxy, and everything. We're all living in one giant universe-spanning circuit. Mainstream science ignores this possibility. But ignoring the electric universe blinds us to an unknown risk. The myths of our ancestors describe cataclysmic global disasters in the distant past. They knew about the electric universe too, not from science, but from experience. And our ancestors have sent us a strange but dire warning. Beware the shocking fury of planet Saturn. Standard cosmological theory says that the universe was created during the Big Bang. For 400,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe was mostly hydrogen and helium just floating around. Then gravity started to pull matter into bundles that became stars. Gravity pulled stars into galaxies. Gravity pulled galaxies into clusters. After that, supernova explode and the universe is sprinkled with elements. Gravity causes these elements to coalesce into planets. Those planets fall into regular orbits around their stars and here we are, all thanks to gravity. The current theory of gravity was proposed by Albert Einstein through his work on general and special relativity, published in 1915. But there's a problem with this theory, and Einstein knew it. Gravity isn't strong enough to keep all this stuff in place, especially on a large scale. Given the amount of matter spinning around a galaxy and how fast it's moving, everything should fly apart, but it doesn't. So what's holding everything in place? Well, officially, it's dark matter, which you've heard of. But here's a little secret about dark matter that they don't tell us. There's no proof it exists. Dark matter is just a theory that's used as a band-aid to explain the gravity problem. But maybe there's something else happening. Maybe our universe isn't held together by gravity, it's held together by electricity. The electric universe theory says that permeating space is a vast sea of ionized particles, these particles create an enormous field of plasma. Plasma is the fourth state of matter, the others being solid, liquid, and gas. Not only is our sun mostly plasma, plasma makes up over 99.9% .9 of the visible universe. This network of plasma is so massive that it connects every galaxy in the universe in a single electric circuit. This circuit not only conducts electricity over great distances, but it transmits it faster than light, much faster. If the electric universe theory is true, it will change everything we know about physics and reframe our understanding of the cosmos. But what evidence is there? Electric cosmologists have recently begun testing their theories in the lab and have produced surprising results. 
But the real proof may not be found in cosmology, but archaeology. The Electric Universe theory says that, at one time, our night sky was a tapestry of glowing plasma, but then a drastic cosmic event changed our sky forever. Our ancestors recorded this event in customs and in myths and symbology, but changes to the sky weren't the only thing they described. Hidden among the symbols is the record of a catastrophe, one that's left scars across not just the Earth, but every planet in the solar system. The Grand Canyon is one of the most iconic places in the world. The Colorado River flows between the canyon walls, and according to mainstream geology, it was formed through a complex series of tectonic events and erosion. But if you look closely at the river from overhead, you'll notice its many branches and tributaries split at very odd but consistent angles. This structure is familiar to electrical cosmologists, many of whom are electrical engineers. The patterns look just like current flowing through electronics. Specifically, junctions in the Colorado River follow rules for an electrical circuit. And there's a reason for that. Even though the universe is an ocean of electricity, we don't really see it because everything stays pretty well balanced. Just like you don't see electricity flowing through a circuit. That is, until something goes wrong and everything goes haywire. When the electrical balance of the solar system is thrown off, it leads to violent arcs that travel from planet to planet. And those arcs of current leave scars across everything they touch. Scars like the Grand Canyon on Earth, or the Valles Marineris on Mars. Geologists say these canyons are formed by tectonic activity and water erosion over millions of years. But electric cosmologists believe unbelievably powerful lightning creates the canyons, which are later filled in by water. The Valles Marineris Canyon, which is as long as the entire United States, doesn't look like water erosion. It looks like something quickly and violently gouged out a chunk of the planet. And parts of it have marks that look exactly like tributaries in the Grand Canyon, or exactly like an enormous bolt of lightning. This entire region resembles nothing so much as an area zapped by a powerful electric arc, advancing unsteadily across the surface. These canyons are on rocky planets and moons all over the solar system, from Venus all the way to Pluto and beyond. Ooh, what about Uranus? What now? Are there any scars on Uranus? Uranus has 27 moons. <laughs> its largest moon, Titania, has a gash on it almost a thousand miles long. Whoa, something violent happened near Uranus, huh? Don't be an infant. <laughs> Electric cosmologists believe that interplanetary lightning bolts have hit the Earth many times in the past, with dire consequences for everyone on the planet. Goodness. They believe there was a catastrophic electrical event about 12,000 years ago. Survivors looked upon the scarred landscape and copied what they saw in hieroglyphics. 12,000 years ago is the time of the Younger Dryas, when it said the Earth's ice caps melted within a week, causing a global cataclysm. This rapid melting of the ice caps created tsunamis a thousand feet high and raised the Earth's sea level by hundreds of feet. At the end of that catastrophic week, the surface of the Earth would have looked very different. We know there was a rapid warming of the Earth after the Younger Dryas, but nobody knows for sure what caused it. One theory is that it was a giant asteroid impact. Another theory is that the melting was caused by a violent solar event, like a solar flare or coronal mass ejection. 
but electric cosmologists say the melting was caused by a massive bolt of interplanetary lightning. That would definitely explain it. Every culture on Earth has a flood myth. People living on every continent on the planet have written stories and made drawings of the global catastrophe. All scientific evidence says those myths are true. But those same myths describe the night sky as looking very different than it does today. In the past, the sun wasn't the only prominent object in the sky, and our nearest planetary neighbor looked much different. Today, Venus is our nearest planetary neighbor, but in the time of the myths, Venus didn't exist yet. Our nearest neighbor was Saturn. Saturn was so close to the Earth that this was actually a binary planet system. But that system didn't last forever. And legends tell the story of the time when Saturn and the Earth parted ways. And when that happened, all hell broke loose. When Emmanuel Velikovsky released his best-selling book, Worlds in Collision, he turned astronomy on its head. It is only wishful thinking that we are living in a safe, never perturbed solar system and a safe, never perturbed, perturbed Earth. Mainstream science says that our sky is an orderly place that's looked the same for millions of years. But Velikovsky found ancient evidence that tells a very different story. Dr. Velikovsky's contention is that in the memory of man, the Earth has gone through great natural paroxysms. He's founded his theory on the ancient records of man from all over the world, on archaeological evidence in the form of ancient calendars that have become strangely obsolete and uh, new and radical interpretations of information from astronomy, paleontology, paleomagnetism, and evolution. Velikovsky used comparative mythology to examine different legends, searching for common themes. Besides the flood myth that all cultures share, Velikovsky found other common legends. And the same story could have been found in all places, but differently told, so that it was no question of just Boring from one nation by another. So this was all the collision, the story of human memory of catastrophes that took place in historical times. But strangely, despite the fact that they were described in so many sources, as if non-existent for the scientific world. Gods were often described as immense celestial bodies presiding over a mythical golden age where the planet Saturn was the most important object in the sky. The Egyptians placed their creator god Atum at the celestial pole, the axis around which the sky turned. The Babylonians said their supreme god Anu ruled from the pole star. But the pole star wasn't a star at all. The pole star was Saturn. Greeks and Romans also identified the planet Saturn as the primeval sun god who reigned over a lost paradise. The archaic Latin name for Saturn was Sol, the sun. In early Greek, the planet Saturn, called Kronos, was also named Helios, the sun. Franz Boll was a German historian of science, and his work is considered foundational in astronomy. He said Kronos and Helios were, at one time, the same god. 
Saturn figures prominently in many ancient texts. Astronomical history from Greece, Persia, and China all claim Saturn ruled the world. The Golden Age was called the Reign of Saturn. The original site of Rome was known as Saturnia. The Jewish Sabbath was Saturn's Day. Popular Roman festivals honored Saturn as the father of the gods. Velikovsky thought this was strange. How could a distant planet like Saturn be linked to the central axis of the sky? Well, all of our uh, ancient heritage that comes to us in terms of architecture, uh, writing, and so on, they're, they're actually obsessed with, uh, with the idea of worshiping these stars, these dreaded planets. Uh, all mankind uh, through the years have uh, uh, worshiped uh, stars that we can't even pick out of the sky today. Now, why? Because in ancient times, Saturn was much closer to the Earth and dominated the sky. During this time, the Earth and Saturn were a binary planet system that together moved around the Sun. Because the two planets were locked, Saturn didn't rise or set. It was fixed in the sky, just like the ancient Egyptians said. David Talbot continued the work of Velikovsky. He studied ancient symbols from across the globe, which described how the sky once looked. And it's very different than the sky we now know. Going back through prehistoric times, we see the same image in every culture, on every continent. It's called the cosmic wheel. The wheel was the throne of the gods. We see the wheel in Buddhism, Jainism, and Hinduism. The cosmic wheel is seen in prehistoric Ireland and in the hills of California. Across Africa, Scandinavia, around the Mediterranean, Mexico, Mesopotamia. The image represents three objects. Saturn, the large planet farthest away, a dark planet is closest, this was named Mars, and in the middle, a glowing object. The energy of the three objects washed over the Earth. The energy gave humans lifespans of hundreds or even thousands of years. This time had been called the Golden Age of Heroes. Civilization flourished. But then, something terrible happened. When electrical engineer Wal Thornhill saw one of David Talbot's lectures on the cosmic wheel, the design was instantly recognizable to him. So it came as a bit of a shock and a surprise to see David Talbot showing slides at one of the uh, sessions at the conference, which I recognized immediately as being similar to those of electric discharges in the laboratory. Many ancient cultures describe a golden age that ends with a war between gods, leading to a catastrophe on Earth. Myths around the world tell of mighty gods that ruled the heavens. This was an era of chaos, and each god vies for supremacy. One god conquers another, then the next god conquers him. And the favorite weapon of the gods? The thunderbolt. In Hinduism, the Mahabharata tells tales of a lost age, where gods waged war on each other in the sky using what can best be described as energy weapons. In Greek mythology, the god Zeus wielded a celestial thunderbolt to wage war against the titan Kronos. In Roman mythology, Zeus was named Jupiter, and he was at war with Saturn. The arrows of Apollo, the trident of Neptune, these are all connected to thunderbolts. So when our ancestors said the gods waged war in the sky, they were interpreting actual celestial thunderbolts that they witnessed jumping between planets that they had named after the gods. But what caused this war between the gods and the cataclysm on Earth? It was the glowing middle object in the cosmic wheel, Venus. But Venus didn't form like the other planets. It was created much more violently. A chunk of Jupiter was ejected from the center of the planet. 
This matter took the form of a giant comet. This comet would eventually become the planet Venus. And this event is also reflected in legends around the world. The Greeks had the myth of Zeus birthing the goddess Athena from his forehead. She emerged fully grown and radiated brilliant light. She then uttered a cry that shook the heavens and the earth. And remember, planets and gods are one and the same, and Zeus is Jupiter. The Maya and Babylonians had myths about Venus being a fiery or blazing star, just like a comet. The ancient Egyptians had a myth about the goddess Isis, who was associated with Venus. She was transformed into a fiery star that descended to the Earth. At some point, the Earth, Venus, Mars, and Saturn drifted too close to each other. This led to massive bolts of lightning between the planets. And this lightning blasted craters in the moon and tore through the Earth to create the Grand Canyon. Ancient cultures recorded evidence of this lightning and other plasma discharges. The Lascaux Cave in France has cave art that's 17,000 years old. These images are extremely detailed, very realistic, and very accurate. So why does later art become crude, with men being depicted as stick figures? It's because these are not drawings of men. Notice how the arms always appear outstretched, and there are dots on either side of the figure. These are the same all over the world. So what is this? The answer comes from Anthony Peratt, a plasma physicist. Peratt shows us an animation of a plasma discharge. The central column is the axis. Around the axis is a torus or donut-shaped ring of charged particles. The top is called a champagne glass, the bottom is called a squashed bell. To an observer, the shape is transparent, but there are places where the plasma is most dense. Holy sh**! This is the shape drawn by ancient cultures around the world. The reason they recorded it is because they would have seen this as a giant glowing object in the sky. Like a god! Exactly. These plasma discharges would have been loud and bright and violent, and could have easily been construed as gods battling in the heavens. Eventually, the lightning stopped and the war ended. Saturn, Mars, and Venus moved into their current orbits, giving us the sky that we know today. Now, it's an amazing story, but it goes against everything we've been taught about gravity, the solar system, and all of mainstream cosmology. In order for this theory to be taken seriously, someone would have to prove it. So someone did. Modern science tells us stars are powered by nuclear fusion at their cores. Hydrogen atoms are fused into helium, which produces light and heat. Scientists who support the Electra Universe theory disagree. They believe electricity plays a bigger role in the cosmos than mainstream theories suggest. The energy of the sun is not being driven by fusion, but by a powerful electric current that permeates all of space. Over the past decade, experiments by an international team called the Sapphire Project have put the electric universe theory to the test. Their goal? Recreate the plasma environment of a star in a laboratory chamber on Earth. Um, is this a good idea? Well, it sounds like a fire hazard. Inside their high-tech facility in Canada, the Sapphire team built a plasma reactor. They filled it with low-pressure hydrogen gas, which mimics the early universe. Then they introduced an electrical current, creating a glowing ball of plasma. The plasma quickly self-organized into stable, donut-shaped vortices called double layers. 
These double layers formed electrified shells that trapped electrons and ions and hydrogen atoms inside. Okay, okay, tell me that again. Uh, but this time pretend I don't know anything about what you're talking about. It made a baby star. Was that so hard? The team measured effects within the reactor never before seen in any lab on Earth. The electron density matched the measurements made from spacecraft sent to study the sun. Also, the sapphire plasma sustained enormous electrical fields up to 8,000 volts per meter, but also a steep drop in voltage off the surface of the plasma, which sounds technical, but that's exactly what happens in the sun. The reactor core reached temperatures of over 80,000 degrees Celsius. That's hotter than the sun's surface. The plasma thermal radiation was uniform, just like the sun. Oh, these doctors must be so tan. I don't see how that's important. I'm saying it's a good thing. Scientists are usually pretty pasty. And they also found evidence of higher energy in the plasma corona, just like the sun. And it goes on and on. The Sapphire Project had created their own mini sun, and they did it without nuclear fusion. This was done using only electricity. And most shockingly... Yeah, I see what you did there. The reactor was changing elements like iron and tungsten into other elements like magnesium, calcium, titanium, and 17 others. This is a process called transmutation. The Sapphire Project had repeatedly transmuted tungsten and iron into more than 17 other stable elements. All these phenomena are exactly what the electric universe theory predicts. That stars are not driven by internal nuclear fusion after all, but by electrical discharges flowing through cosmic plasma. Now more experiments are needed, but the Sapphire Reactor hints at the ability to pull energy from the quantum vacuum. Nikola Tesla also believed this was possible. If the Sapphire technology works, it would lead to unlimited clean energy for the entire planet. Ah, uh, well, those 10 scientists are gonna get whacked before that happens. Yeah, scientists who try to create free, clean energy always seem to get hit with a lot of bad luck. They also get hit by cars. True. And bullets. I get it. So we have experiments that validate the electric universe theory with how stars are formed, and it's an amazing discovery. But there's one more experiment we need to do in order to prove this thing, and it's a tricky one. We need to prove that the energy moving through the cosmic plasma can move faster than light. Now, Einstein said this was impossible, but it turns out that Einstein was wrong. And last year, somebody proved it. Einstein hated quantum entanglement. What is entanglement? This is when two particles transmit information to each other faster than the speed of light. Really, they transmit information faster than anything. Entangled particles transmit information instantly no matter how far apart they are. All right, I'm gonna try and keep this simple. So physicists don't bother leaving comments. This isn't a video about quantum mechanics. Uh, yeah, you Mensa eggheads, keep your yaps shut. Come on, that, that's not nice. Uh, hey, you know what Mensa stands for? No, what? My entire night spent alone. When two particles become entangled, they're now linked. Now that they're linked, their movement cancels each other out. Meaning if particle A is spinning up, then particle B is spinning down. This is called conservation of angular momentum. If one particle is spinning clockwise, the other has to be spinning counterclockwise. Make sense? I feel ya. But remember how weird quantum particles are? 
We don't know what they're doing until we measure them. Until they're measured, they're doing everything all at once. And this is called the wave function. Now, you don't know anything about a quantum particle, but once you take a measurement of that particle, you now know everything about it. This is the wave function collapsing. The electron decided to act differently, as though it was aware it was being watched. Now, that's weird enough, but entangle two particles and weird becomes sorcery. All right, so you've got two particles that are entangled. Now you separate them some distance. The particles can be on separate sides of your lab or separate sides of the Earth. It doesn't matter, they're linked. Now let's measure one of those entangled particles to see if it's spinning up or down. Again, we don't know what it's doing yet. It's doing its quantum voodoo thing. It's spinning up and down at the same time. But when we measure it, boom, its state freezes. And now we see that it's spinning up. Fine. That means its partner must be spinning down. We check. Yep, it's spinning down. And the second particle's wave function also collapsed, though we didn't touch it. Now, let's separate two entangled particles by a long distance. We'll put particle A in New York. We'll put particle B on the moon. Particle A's wave function collapses. This time it's spinning down. So particle B is spinning up. We check our equipment. Both particle wave functions have collapsed at the same time. Like the exact same time. But that can't be. Nothing can move faster than light. Light takes 1.28 seconds to get to the moon. But that other particle, the one on the moon, it didn't wait 1.28 seconds. It collapsed instantly. Wait, wait, what? Now let's put particle A in Tokyo. We put particle B on Mars. Collapse particle A, boom. Particle B collapses too, instantly. Now on average, light takes 12 minutes to reach Mars. The particle didn't wait. It knew its partner in Tokyo collapsed, so it instantly did the same. Uh, this can't be real. Okay, last one. We put particle A in London. We put particle B in... The Andromeda Galaxy. That's about two and a half million light years away. We collapse particle A in London. It takes light 2.5 million years to reach particle B. But particle B doesn't wait 2.5 million years to collapse. It doesn't wait 2.5 minutes. Particle B, 2.5 million light years away, collapses at the same time, the same exact time as the particle in Tokyo. And this is freaking me out. Well, this is what Einstein hated. Nothing can move faster than light, so something must be off. So in 1935, Albert Einstein, Boris Podolsky, and Nathan Rosen wrote a paper saying that quantum mechanics was incomplete. That's why Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. That wasn't a compliment. In the paper, which became known as the EPR paper, Einstein said that somehow the particle's state was determined before they were measured. He didn't know how, he just believed that's how it worked. He called this a hidden variable. The hidden variable has to be there because nothing can move faster than light. Einstein believed everything was local. If particles can communicate instantly over vast distances, that means they're non-local, and that makes no sense. And that's how things stood for about 30 years. Then in 1964, John Bell proposed a thought experiment to show that entangled particles don't care about distance. They don't care about the speed of light, and they don't care about Einstein's feelings. Particles can communicate instantly, no matter the distance. But the cool thing about Bell's thought experiment was that it was actually testable in the real world with real particles. In the 1970s, experiments were done that showed Bell was right 
and Einstein was wrong. And then in 2022, Alain Aspect, John Clauser, and Anton Zeilinger closed a few loopholes with the earlier experiments. They proved it in a lab and settled the argument once and for all. Quantum particles are non-local. They can exchange information instantly. They don't care about distance, and they ignore the speed of light. This was so groundbreaking, Aspect, Clauser, and Zeilinger won the Nobel Prize in Physics for this discovery. But now here's the big question. How? How are the particles communicating? Through what medium? Sound is the vibration of air molecules. Air is the medium. Sound works in water too. Water is the medium. But sound is slow. Well, wait, what'd you say? But sound is slow? Well, that really depends on how hard you squeeze. But sound is slow. <laughs> you fell for it. Radio waves are fast. Their medium is the EM spectrum. Radio waves move at the speed of light, but no faster. What is the medium for quantum particles that allows them to communicate instantly? Just like the electric universe theory explains the formation of galaxies and explains the composition of the sun, it explains this too. The medium is the plasma that fills the entire universe. Physicists Nikolai Kozarev and Nikola Tesla called this the ether. Kozarev and Tesla both felt that we can tap into the energy of this ether or plasma. That energy is in water, in air, in the vacuum of space. It's all around us. This is zero-point energy. That's why programs like the Sapphire Project are so important and getting more attention. The electric universe theory has been considered a fringe theory. And this is why Sapphire conducts a lot of their work in secret, because it's possible they made the most important discovery in history. Their technology would usher in an era of prosperity for our civilization not seen since the last golden age, when Saturn ruled the sky. The electric universe theory gets a lot of science right. The electric universe answers questions that Einstein couldn't answer. So let's recap. The early universe was just hydrogen. Gravity played a role in compressing the hydrogen into stars, but it was really electricity carried through cosmic plasma that fired up the stars and keeps them going today. According to this theory, 3,500 years ago, Venus emerged from Jupiter as a comet. It made a few close passes to the Earth and caused all kinds of havoc. Our solar system was like a billiard table. Planets bounced around and eventually settled into their orbits. Saturn, once part of a binary system with the Earth, found a new orbit further out. Mars, too, was pushed away from the Earth. As the planets moved away, unbelievable lightning arced between them, carving great canyons like those seen on Earth and Mars and everywhere. And all of this was documented by our ancestors in ancient drawings, like those of the cosmic wheel or the stick man with the two dots. Finally, to test all this, the Sapphire Project created a ball of plasma, essentially their own mini sun. Their sun is hot, stable, and shares all the characteristics of other large stars. And this is all achieved with electricity, not nuclear fusion. And if it works, it's the secret to unlimited free energy. Now, I love the theory. I love the legends, and I really love the science. But is any of this real? Well, probably not. The truth is, Venus was probably never a comet. It's been observed in the sky as a planet for thousands of years well before when Velikovsky said it emerged from Jupiter. Speaking of comets, do you remember NASA's epoxy mission in 2005? This is also called Deep Impact. NASA smashed a probe against a comet to learn about its internal composition. 
Well, Electric Universe Kingpin Wal Thornhill made a lot of predictions about comets, especially this mission. He said there would be arcs of electrical energy before the impact, equipment would fail, x-rays would be emitted along with bolts of lightning, but none of that happened. Supporters of the Electric Universe theory, and there are a lot of those, will point to the predictions that Thornhill got right, though I can't think of any of those off the top of my head. But those supporters will ignore the things that he got wrong, which was just about everything. While Thornhill has been called a physicist and electrical engineer, but I can't find evidence of his credentials anywhere. The only thing we know for sure is that he was a computer salesman for IBM. Now, Thornhill was once criticized for not making his scientific research available for peer review. He said there was no need to. He had no peers. No, cocky, I like it. And all the ancient myth connections to the cosmic wheel and all that stuff about Saturn, that was all cherry-picked. Our ancient ancestors were aware of Saturn for thousands of years. Rings weren't discovered until 1610 by Galileo, but the planet was out there, way out there. The Sapphire Project is also suspicious. Until their data is shared and their experiments confirmed by other scientists, we have to assume their plasma reactor doesn't work. Uh, so it's a fraud? Well, if their machine showed even the smallest possibility that it might work, they'd be swimming in billions of dollars. But they're not, they're constantly looking for money. But I wouldn't say the Sapphire Project is a fraud, but Lowell Morgan would. When Sapphire was launched, Dr. Lowell Morgan was the only plasma physicist on the team, and he wasn't impressed. He exchanged a few emails with science YouTuber Professor Dave about his experience. The EU concept is fraudulent bullshit being promoted by several people as real science to the general public. They don't really know any physics or mathematics to speak of. They have all the usual trappings of crackpot scientists. Dr. Morgan eventually left the project. I quit for several reasons. One, they could no longer pay me. And two, they're just amateurs. And I was tired of working with amateurs. They're bozos. So why would a legitimate scientist get involved with this in the first place? It all began with Velikovsky. I read Worlds in Collision in 1960 and thought it was a great yarn, but any implied physics was wrong. The electric universe theory is considered pseudoscience, but you know how I feel about that word. Because sometimes pseudoscience plus time equals science. The prejudging scorn and closing of ranks against the heretic showed typical guild animus. In recent years, however, evidence collected during the geophysical year and by several space probes has tended to verify several of Velikovsky's predictions. For instance, he had said in the face of strong disagreement that because of her recent birth, Venus is extremely hot, a view subsequently borne out by observations of Mariner 2. He was accused of inventing an interplanetary magnetic field, but one has been detected since then by Pioneer 5. He claimed in 1950 that the ancient civilizations of Central America were much older than believed. Recently, this view too has been proved by radiocarbon dating. As you know, I try to find all sides to a story if I can. And whenever I cover alternate science, I also give the point of view of the skeptics. But that's with this episode when I started to get upset. Some of the videos I found that debunk the electric universe theory are aggressive. If you're open-minded to an idea like the electric universe, then according to some YouTube scientists, you're a moron, you're a nut job, you're a toddler. If a snake oil scientist is taking advantage of people by charging them money for nonsense, then call them out. I support that 100%. But attacking the believers, 
The victims? I, I don't agree with that at all. You persuade with compassion and kindness, not with insults and condescension. And there are other debunkers who think Velikovsky, Thornhill, and other proponents of the electric universe theory should be silenced and that their research should be removed from the internet. This is to protect us from, you guessed it, disinformation. Right. Protecting people from disinformation is censorship, and there's no place for that in science. Not only was the scientific press copying at him, and in a way that was violent, not in terms of an orderly discussion that this idea is yet to be tested and it takes more time and etc., but saying this idea is crazy and any man who has such an idea is mad, insane, that kind of thing. But the establishment through which men who think that way make a living, the academic establishment was saying to this man, you know, you're not safe. Scientists tried to censor Velikovsky too. Velikovsky's book, Worlds in Collision, was a New York Times bestseller. The scientific community did everything they could to remove it from the charts. And eventually, they succeeded. The, the book, the Worlds in Collision, then merely the first of the books, had been on the top of the bestseller list for something like 11 weeks. And nonetheless, the publisher was so um, mortally wounded, is the only word, by the the uh, turning away of salesmen from the doors of, of professors' studies and all of the implications that went with this, that the book was transferred to another publisher which was willing to take it over, which, after all, is a fairly extraordinary thing. Velikovsky's ideas were too dangerous. We had to be protected from disinformation. So poof, the book is gone. And look, Velikovsky was probably wrong about everything. The comet, Venus, Saturn, the electric sun, all of it, probably all wrong. But it's okay to be wrong. That's how we find out the truth. In the words of a great scientist, science is a self-correcting process. To be accepted, new ideas must survive Survive the most most rigorous standards of evidence and scrutiny. The worst aspect of the Velikovsky affair is not that uh, many of his ideas were wrong or silly or in gross contradiction to the facts. Rather... The worst aspect is that some scientists attempted to suppress Velikovsky's ideas. Scientific ideas must survive the most rigorous standards of evidence or scrutiny. Well, scrutiny means your theory has to withstand aggressive debate. Take climate change. No such thing. Well... Don't be a sheep. The climate is warming up. (laughs) But is it happening quickly? No. I don't know. Some scientists say no. Is there anything humans can do to stop it? No. I don't know. Some scientists say no. There are two sides to this scientific debate, but only one side is allowed to be heard. That's not science. That's censorship. Now, I don't know who's right. Neither do you. But who cares? I just want to know the truth, don't you? The suppression of uncomfortable ideas may be common in religion or in politics, but it is not the path to knowledge, and there's no place for it in the endeavor of science. Now, what about certain experimental medicines that a lot of us have been taking? Those medications work well for most people, but not all people. But we don't hear much about that. There are two sides to this issue as well, but there's no debate allowed. Look, I can't even say the V word on this platform. Now, that's not science. That's censorship. Science is now used to give more wealth to the wealthy. Science is used to give more power to the powerful. And science is now weaponized to turn half the country against the other. 
Again, I don't care who's right. I just want the truth. But science isn't about truth. Not anymore. Promote the right science and get a book deal, a guest spot on cable news, and highly paid speaking engagements. Promote the wrong science? Lose your reputation. Lose your career. Get deplatformed on social media. What would you choose? So scientists without accepted and conventional ideas stopped asking questions. And the history of our study of the solar system shows clearly that accepted and conventional ideas are often wrong and that fundamental insights can arise from the most unexpected sources. Carl Sagan was correct. Accepted science is often wrong. So here's something to keep in the back of your mind. When there's a mainstream scientific view out there that suppresses debate and censors scientists that disagree, that mainstream scientific view exists for money and for power, not for the truth. And on that, there is no debate. This episode of The Y Files is brought to you by The Y Files, Operation Podcast. Deep dives and longer stories every week. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. My name is AJ. There's Hacklefish. Hola. This has been The Y Files. If you had fun or learned anything, do him a favor, subscribe, comment, like, share. That stuff really helps the channel. And like every topic we cover here on The Y Files, today's was recommended by you. So if there's a story you'd like to see or learn more about, go to thewifiles.com slash tips. And if, like me, you're sad at the end of every episode, check out the Y-Files Discord. It's free to join. There's thousands of people on there. And 24-7, there's somebody talking about something weird and something fun. And special thanks to our patrons who make the channel possible. Every episode is dedicated to you, and I can't thank you enough for your generosity. Now, if you'd like to support the channel, consider becoming a member on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you keep the channel going. You get access to videos early without commercials, early access to fun products like the Hecklefish Talking Plushie, and two extra live streams a week just for you. Another great way to support the channel is grab something from the Wi-Fi store. Oh, grab yourself a Hecklefish t-shirt, a sticky fist, or one of these fistable mugs, or get one of these Hecklefish Talking Fish Animal Fish Stars. That's going to do it. Until next time, be safe. Be kind and know that you are appreciated.
Not man sightings and the solar storms still come to a god the secret city underground. Mysterious number stations, planets circle to Project Stargate and what the Dark Watchers found. In a simulation, don't you worry though, the Black Knight satellite is told. 